there's no feeling better than being a team leader for a small Air Force ST unit that's surrounded by hundreds of Rangers or Army or any situation, and everyone swivels in their head and looks at you and says, we've got a problem. Can you help us with it? And you're like, I have the solution. And I saw it happening about 20 minutes before you even called me. And we've already set conditions to fix your problem. Welcome to the Insight Through Experience podcast. Podcast created to provide information about what life is like inside the most specialized special tactics organization in the U.S. Air Force. In these episodes, we'll be bringing you the experiences from many of our experts, ranging from our human performance optimization staff, our combat mission supporters, as well as our special warfare operators. Our main objective with these podcasts are to provide the listener with a unique look inside our culture of excellence in hopes that you will make the 724 a future career goal. Now sit back, relax, take some notes, prepare to hear from some of the Air Force's finest. Thank you for joining us on the Insight Through Experience podcast. All right, welcome back to the Insight Through Experience podcast. Everybody, I'm excited to bring you this episode. Um, We're going to be talking everything black team here inside the organization. So to do that, I brought in the two leaders of black team, the OIC, which is Colby, and the NCOIC, which is Aaron. Aaron and Colby, thanks for joining us today on the podcast. Yeah, thanks, Trey. I really appreciate the opportunity here. Uh, We're really looking forward to it. Before we get down into the the weeds of black team um, definitions and everything else, let's talk about you guys. Let's have some fun real quick. Let's give the audience um, a background story on both of you. So um, let's start with Colby. Colby, tell us about your journey from the pipeline and, and to your current position here inside the unit. Yeah, so I'm not as uh, old and wise as Aaron. Uh, end of the pipeline in 2016 after graduating college, went straight to the 2-3 the down in Florida. Uh, for those there, I was there for about two and a half years. Got experience working with both uh, the global access side and the the strike side. Got deployed, so got got some good experiences there. But but really, that's when uh, I kind of assessed as early as I can here and, and assessed this last March. And uh, that's when I found out I was coming to Black Team is basically part of the the plan when I was hired. They said, "Hey, you're going to go to Black Team for a year. Uh, it's going to be a great opportunity for you, and then you're going to roll into the next OTC class." And so far, I've I've loved it. Aaron, over to you, buddy. Um, tell us about that journey, man. You've been here for a while. So how did you get up here? And then how are you in your current seat? I'm a Air Force combat controller. I've been in for almost 19 years. E7, I've been stationed at uh, the 2-2, the 320th, uh, the 2-1 and the unit now. Um, I've held almost every job that's not senior enlisted leader. Uh Stanaval multiple times, uh, chief JTAC instructor, chief uh, JTAC evaluator for a unit, uh, current operations NCIC, and been deployed a multitude of times in many deploy for cause uh, type deployments uh, all over the globe. So um, that's kind of my my story there. Yeah, good. So I don't want to lose our momentum here. So Aaron, I'm going to stick with you real quick. So um, being the selection guy that I am, I can't pass up the opportunity to ask you guys about your experience since I'm the guy that still runs it. So Aaron, I know it's been a while. Explain that experience as you remember it, because it's totally different now. If you saw the process now, man, it wouldn't look anything 
uh, like what Colby went through, but explain that for the audience. Yeah, so I came to unit selection in uh, September 2014, and it was hot that year. And I know Mr. Free remembers because he was gracious enough to bring us uh, Gatorade packets for our jerry cans and a few other things. Um, and unit selection, it I, I know it's changed and it may not be perfectly relevant, but it's one of those things where even if you have a lot of life experience and a lot of selections you've been through and even comparable events, nothing prepares you for that just raw experience of being under the microscope. Under the microscope in the sense of not only your peers, but instructors, evaluators, psych docs, all of that. So um, advice, just have a game plan. And I remember I, I packed my ruck that I knew I was going to walk for selection every Friday night when I was stationed in Okinawa so that Saturday morning I could do a flight line ruck. And what I was going for was just trying to figure out the best way to pack my ruck. Um, and it, it, it helped quite a bit. And there was an experience. I remember, um, being on the, the, the turf and, um, where you're laying out all your gear to make sure you brought everything that was on the packing list. And you can see the dudes around you that are frustrated because their nice, um, smooth civvies are getting just thrown into a kit bag. Right. And it's a chance for people to look at you, the individual, and see you not in a situation that is work-related, right? How is this person going to react when they get cut over or cut off in traffic? Or how are they going to react when a, a teammate gives them some, some raw, straight feedback? How are you going to be when a sister service, a uh, senior 05, asks you a really tough, pointed question? that you might not have the perfect textbook answer for. Selection makes me think about all of that. Um, just to level the bubbles with the audience, when Aaron came through and I asked him questions, compare this to the hardest thing you've ever done in your life, and a lot of guys were calling it a 9 out of 10 or a 10 out of 10, saying it's the hardest thing. Today, after we made all the adjustments, everybody's still saying the same thing, so the process is still incredibly hard. But they looked at we got at Colby. I'm not saying we didn't get a good look at Aaron. Um, we just we have a better understanding of what we're looking for now. So Colby, you got a really deep look last time. I'm going to ask you two questions. Why did you choose to uproot your life at the two three? You know, to put in your application and, and try out for the seven two four. But also, um, what was that experience like when you got up here? Yeah. So first, uh, I think the coming up to this unit has been something I've always been been drawn to, uh, most for the challenge and then the the focus. 365, 24-7, uh, we're mission-focused here, and, and that's something that that I, I appreciate and that I always want to be a part of. And then just as a leader, the opportunity to come and see all the things that the unit provides, the opportunity both to be on the cutting edge of, of tactics and then also the the jointness, the interagency connections and partners, all that kind of stuff that, that we're able to uh, learn from and, and grow from is, is something that, that – drew me here and, and I had my eye on um, for for a while since I've entered this career field. As far as selection goes, uh, it's it's definitely like you're saying that you know that they're going to get a good look at you because there's nowhere to hide. Um, and I think with resources like this podcast and other stuff, like it's what you guys are looking for is transparent uh, in, a, in a good way, right? Like 
you still definitely don't know all the all the secrets when you come up here uh, and and go to selection. But you know what they're looking for, and you, and you can prepare in the best way you can, knowing that at the end of the day, what you're being graded on and graded against is it's it's values. It's not how how fast you are or how strong you are, although those help. It's ultimately who you are and and how those abilities will translate to the questions like uh, Aaron was talking about to when you're getting forced to do something that you know is going to be hard, but is, is the right answer. Or you're in a tough spot with somebody who might outrank you or uh, is, is asking a lot from you, and you got to be able to think on your feet and formulate not only just an answer, but the right answer, because that's what's going to be demanding of you. Yeah, good. Colby, why did we pick you up? So I want to say I have no idea, but uh, no, I think one thing I definitely knew going in was that I was pretty confident in, in who I was um, and also knew that I couldn't change it. So I never tried to fake a personality or a style or, or whatever to, to see what, if, you know, if this is the guy you're looking for. Um, I just knew that if, if I presented the best version of myself, that was, that was the best I can do. Definitely still was, was nervous with how things were going, you know, I wasn't, confident in my performance throughout uh, you're putting a lot of ambiguous situations that there really is no clear right answer you don't know how you're st how you stand i think that's by design uh, but i knew that i wasn't going to change myself i just had to be a, a a good version of of who that was and i think i really tried to be decisive and that's something that you know i, I didn't always have the the best decisions i i know that for a fact uh, you get feedback on that pretty pretty instantly um, but in the, in the void that happens of selections to where people are unsure, I didn't want to hesitate. I wanted to, to step up and, and make the best decision I could at that moment and then try to keep moving forward from there. So I think those are probably two, uh, two big reasons, uh, at least from my perspective. Yeah, hundred percent. I hope everybody listens to that answer who are about to come up here now, because what Colby said, th those are some of the answers. Just be yourself. The process is going to shake it out. You got to be yourself. All right, let's move on. Let's start diving into Black Team a little bit, the reason why we're here today. So this is probably a weird question, but imagine that you guys are standing up in front of a bunch of operators who are thinking about coming up here, and um, they're just looking for a definition of Black Team. What would, that, what would you tell those guys in that moment? So what Black Team does is provide access for the command and for the unit, and it's, it's the foundational skills of, of special tactics. It's the foundational skills uh, of of combat control and what we're looking at doing is is projecting power forward solving the time distance problem um, in a variety of ways black team is the original mission of why special tactics exist today uh, we are the center of excellence for all current legacy and emerging ttps tactics techniques and procedures for assault zone, the innovation and the units that we get to work with and the permissions that we're granted allow us to do a multitude of outside the box thinking to solve problems that that get our nation where it needs to be to do the mission that has to be done. And I can't stress enough, center of excellence, we eat, sleep, live, and breathe assault zones and all the other commando and operator tasks that go 
and feed into our ability to do that. Well done on those definitions. I think you guys nailed it. I know that wasn't easy, but um, I learned a lot out of just listening to you. One thing that matters to most operators, as I've talked to them throughout my entire career, is impact. Like most of the guys that desire to come up to our place are wanting to make an impact. They want to know that what they do matters. If you could describe the impact in your own words to those who are thinking about possibly making black team a career choice, what would you tell them? Like uh, like Aaron said, this, we were doing the the skill that was was foundational at ST and and what we're created for, and that's because the whole joint force needs it, uh, and and we're providing that capability in a way that nobody else does. And so, as as an individual operator, you are here, you get to be a part of that, not only with just how we've done it in the past, but developing new ways to do it in the future. Uh, this is a, a a great place, like I said, the center of excellence, not only just in applying it now, but in in pushing it forward into whatever the, the future of conflict looks like. And, and that's something that you really get, get to be a part of. And, and additionally, just as, as far as the individual operator goes, you get to become extremely proficient. It's mission focused, right? When we do assault zones, that's very clear and very well-defined, but you get to do it in a, in a breath that is really a, across the spectrum, everything from the most complicated uh, with a lot of assets, seizing uh, an airfield with a, a ranger battalion to the most complex to where you're going into a black hole somewhere where americans have maybe never never been and turning that into an mss or a, a sites project power forward uh, and and being a part of that that full spectrum of assault zones i think is something that's extremely beneficial and, and extremely um an extremely good opportunity to to be part of and, and develop your skills and, and again what st was founded on couldn't agree more. Let me jump in before Aaron gets in here. What what I love about what you said and what it makes me pull back to from my experiences at the unit, all the TTPs that were developed 10 and 15 years ago is what all of ST are using now. But you know where those TTPs were invented? Right up in the compound with a couple of dudes that had a couple of freaking, you know, SRFs in that got some equipment and said, let me go try this. All the TTPs that everybody's so accustomed to started inside that unit, and it was the freedom of just unleashing our operators and their problem-solving ability in those environments to figure out the best way. Um, so anyway, I, I just want to throw that in there because it's it's been fun to watch this from inception to where we are now. All right, Aaron, over to you. Um, what's that impact that guys can have by coming up and being a part of something like Black Team? Job satisfaction at the unit where you can walk out the door each day and be like, hey, I made a difference. I solved a problem. I moved the needle forward on fixing something that happens every day. And, and I, I tell guys all the time, like, there's there's no better spot in ST to, to walk in each morning and be like, man, I have no idea what problem I'm going to have to be asked to solve today or work on. But knowing that each day when you, you step into the team room, that it's on the table that someone's going to hand you something and you're going to be like, wow, okay, guys, we were not planning to do any of this today. Drop everything. We've got to work on this. So uh, job satisfaction, uh, just for those problem solvers out there, which hopefully everyone that's listening has got that mentality is there. Uh, the other thing, the, the access to the research, development, testing, and evaluating this TTP, it, it, it's 
just like Mr. Freeze said, um, you're sitting around the team room, you've talked about a problem, and then the good ideas just start coming out. And then you get get some markers and you go to the marker board and you start uh, developing it and saying, okay, let's shoot holes in what everyone else is doing. And it's a creative um, environment and it's it's not constrained, right? And then um, those, those TTPs, we're, we're, might keep going back to it a few times here, but uh, for all the combat controllers out there that have read uh, the latest edition of the DAFMAM 13.217, there's a 12 line that's the new format for uh, single period of darkness, TAC-LZ. That has been in the playbook at the unit for, for decades now. Um, literally standing on the shoulders of guys that did real world missions that opened up Afghanistan and Iraq. Those TTPs were developed uh, in house and have finally made it um, from the unit to, to the, the bigger air force. Right. So um, it's exciting to, to show up to work and then someone from our combat development shop has showed up and they've got a new piece of gear or a new vehicle or uh, a new technology that's going to help us um, be able to do things more efficient. Um, it's it's exciting in, in that aspect. Yeah, appreciate those answers. I think something else we can talk about that might help people make a decision on, you know, is this a right move for me or not? Both of you have spent time outside of the fence line um, oriented against this problem set. So what's the difference? What's the difference between making the decision to come up here and getting to do operations in our world and what they're getting to do outside the fence line. Yeah. I think the critical thing about here is that we're, we're kind of built for a purpose, right? Um, not broad campaigning, but, but respond to specific priorities and contingencies and crises. And with black team, what we're able to do is, is one, like, like Aaron was sitting on, we, we live at the friction point of, where the planes meet the ground and and we can only have that freedom of maneuver whether it's the single period of darkness uh 12 line tackle z survey we're able to do that because we live there like he's saying 365 24 7 uh right right where that problem sits and that's through exercises and operations and, and everything else where we have that experience that depth of knowledge to to be able to have that freedom of maneuver and, and the credibility that backs it Aaron can can look at a lieutenant colonel or a full bird or a general and say, here's the risk we're buying because he knows it. And he knows the, the three branches that come off of what that what that risk is and how those can be mitigated. And it only happens through experience. And that's something that it's it can't be built um, overnight. It's something that is is deliberately produced here because it's of the focus we have again and and just the large amount of opportunities we have to, to train and develop and expand it. Yeah, it's that, that joint uh, force problem solving. It's going to go back to the same thing. And if you're looking at attributes, um, problem solving, which means uh, critical thinking, which means uh, mental aptitude um, and being able to look at things objectively and analyze them and group think your way through it. So that joint force uh, problem solving, the, the commands not landing planes on a dry lake bed in a far-flung uh, country that's in the middle of crisis with without black team. Um, the risk to the mission of landing a C-130 or a C-17 without knowing how strong that soil is 
it, it we don't need those kind of failures, right? And when you're being asked to do a no-fail mission, black team is essentially that that risk mitigation for the joint force leaders to say, hey, if we put these guys in, they're going to give us the right answer, the right amount of risk, and the right understanding to get this done. It's really awesome to be handed those problems and then get a chance to just dive into it and not be constrained. And I think that's what our unit leadership and, and overall the commands leadership does well is they don't look at things so black and white that we can't um, objectively think about creative ways to solve problems. And that's that's a comfort is knowing that your your leadership has got your back and that you can walk in to their office or walk into the jock or something like that and and tell them like hey this is the situation that we're facing and this is what i'm recommending and them not be so constrained by uh the rules and the regs to be like no you can't do that for this reason they're, they're going to entertain that that concept because the mission has to get done and your expertise is going to uh, be the convincing factor for them What's the force composition? What AFSCs are making it up? I think we can all argue that a combat controller would fit very nicely inside of the black team model, but what else are y'all looking at when it comes to AFSC specifics filling black team's mission? Yeah, obviously this is a very uh, combat control intensive task, but, but what it also is, is it's a maneuver force on the ground and we need all the capabilities inherent to that. So I mean, we have already on the team combat controllers, Paraskeman, EODs, uh, we have an RTO or communicator, and to be frank, we need more of all of them. Uh, everything that, that is inherent to the ability to, to shoot, move, communicate, we need, uh, on top of the, the specialty skills that special tactics provide. So we're really looking for everybody. Yeah, the AFSCs that we, we have, um, Colby already hit them up, um, combat control, pararescue, RTOs that are um, deployed systems communicators or, or any of the other fashions that um, communicators can be in the Air Force and EOD. Um, just to, to highlight the EOD, uh, AFSC specifically, uh, our EOD operators, one, they're, they're cross-trained in a lot of um, CCT-specific um, training that makes them a force multiplier on mission, but to their their job when you are asked to access a um, semi-improved or unimproved or even a prepared uh, assault zone somewhere in the world there's that risk that the enemy could have uh, booby-trapped it or that you need um, some very high-end explosive uh, capability to remove obstacles or something like that so that's how we utilize our eod um, operators is to be another further reduction in risk to the mission um, to make sure that when we land planes and we have um, complex uh, assault zone operations, farping, rearming happening, that everything is, is safe. Plus, they're getting some CCT skills. To the CCT side of the house, obviously, it, it, assault zone-centric mission, you're, you're asked to do your, your core skills. Uh, Pararescuemen, to what a PJ provides is just irreplaceable. The fact that you have, have a, a trauma medic on the mission with you is uh, safety for the entire uh, force that's going in to do the mission. And then the ability to keep others safe or 
say there is some type of uh, technical rescue that needs to be done on the assault zone that you're working, you have an, the exact right answer to solve that problem. And you can just send uh, that PJ operator out there and, and get it to the communicator AFSC. And just a little deeper into that, the future fight that our, our nation may be asked to do could be against uh, a potential enemy that is just as capable, if not more capable than us in the terms of cyber and comms. So our RTO isn't just a guy carrying a radio on his backpack and making sat shots. Our RTOs are asked to solve also problem solving um, some very tough uh, communications problems in, in a very contested environment that only our guys can do. Um, and I'll just leave it at that for the RTOs and the comms piece. Awesome. Let's move into um, some in the life of a black team person, uh, if you will. So let's just imagine that I just arrived at black team. What can I look forward? What's my battle rhythm going to look like um, over the next few weeks, months, years? So what I'll start off by saying is that we're, we're busy and we're getting busier. Um, in the next, we have about five to six exercises in probably less than five to six months. Uh, we work for a lot of different people doing a lot of different things. And so we're, you know, in any given week, we're thinking about how we can split our team to, to go to two separate exercises or events and, and satisfy both. Uh, we are definitely still busy, when, especially when it comes to exercise with the joint force. Additionally, you know, we're, we're still obviously focused on just as a team, uh, becoming more tactically uh, sharp and focused, doing whether it's uh, jump workups or shooting trips, all that kind of stuff. That's something that's going to be perpetually uh, on our books. But the most important thing is is that while we're doing all these exercises and, and team in, internal training, we are still 365, 24-7. Our bags are packed and we're ready to respond to any emerging priorities or, or challenges that the, the unit and the command face. And so we have a pretty unique posture in that we're able to satisfy both these these exercises uh, while still being being ready to to help when needed, and that's uh, it. Definitely takes takes some bandwidth to be able to balance both, but at the same time, I think it's also you get a lot of satisfaction from it of being always busy in training while always able to help when needed. Yeah, Colby hit on the the, the big ones. I'll actually start with daily life while we're doing this podcast. Our guys are um, refining our alert packout SOP today, as well as um, shooting at our indoor range. So um, the the access to just normalized training is grab your rifle from the armory and go shoot today because we didn't have anything else on the schedule. So I would call that a, a pro and that, that just goes into uh, being a, an operator, uh, kind of an operator first mentality. And the exercises that we're going to, uh, they're not uh, the same as like maybe a J set or or some other named exercises like an Emerald Warrior or something that you um, may have experienced in your career. Um, I, I've mentioned problem solving, and that's going to continue to be a, a theme. Every exercise that we go on is is generally focused on solving some type of detailed problem in a in a valid scenario towards. Um, current or emerging um, issues that, that our nation may be uh, asked to figure out or operate in that environment. So 
the daily life can be predictable, but also it cannot be predictable as far as, hey, you thought you were going on this trip, but then another tasking came down and now we have to split our force and and send the right people on the right exercise or the, the right um, mission. Nothing we can say on this podcast when we talk about these exercises can relay to the listener of how extensive and how exquisite these exercises are and how the command spares no expense at getting these things so realistic that honestly, when I went to combat for the first time after doing these exercises, the combat seemed kind of um, melodramatic compared to what I had been in these exercises. But my best day as a controller, I was a team leader on an airfield. It was exfil time, so we had the flow coming in. We had four C-17s on the ground, had three C-130s on the ground. We had Rangers running everywhere, getting to their um, exfil points. And a thunderstorm moved overhead. And all of a sudden, we had all-stop aircraft are everywhere, starting to run out of fuel. Our tanker tracks are starting to disappear. Um, and it was me and an ATC guy and TOC-1, three Air Force guys who had to solve this problem for the entire force on the ground. And that's that was the moment. That was the time that I had never felt better about being that combat controller. And I understood the value that we brought to the command better in that moment than ever before. And solving that problem was maybe one of my highlights of my entire career. So um, any thoughts? What's What's been y'all's best day so far? So I don't have nearly some of the experiences like that that, that Aaron has for sure. Um, but I think it, it really is just having, whether it's exercise or, or whatever, being in that position to where either you inherently see this problem beforehand because you're the only one who understands both sides of it, um, or you're directly asked with, hey, can we do this? And it's up to you and you're, you know, you look back at, at your team and you say, well, what do we think? And that's where, like Aaron's saying, you know, the group thing, guys kick in their different experiences, you know, hey, well, I. I was on an exercise and we did it this way, or, you know, we, we could always try it like this. And you, and you get to come up with that uh, kind of a, that corporate knowledge to solve some of these problems that, that nobody else has. So I think it's, it's being right in those positions like you're, uh, you were talking about where you're the, the link that keeps the chain moving um, and, and keeps everybody grinding on. Kobe, I'll just before Aaron goes, I just want to give you some props because what you just said there, I've said this on a previous podcast. Actually, I said on the Ones Ready podcast about what we're looking for in officers and leaders. And it's just what you just said. Your instinct is, hey, as soon as I'm asked something harder, I got to solve something hard. I go to the guys and we start figuring it out. Like that's, gentlemen and ladies, what we're looking for in our officers when you come through ANS. And I'm not giving you any secrets. That's what we're looking for. We're going to keep giving you problems and we're going to see. Do you try to solve them internally and come up with a half-ass answer or you, you reaching out to the guys to come up with the best answer? And when that answer starts to fail, are you regressing back into yourself or are you going back out to your problem solvers um, to collectively solve this problem? So uh, Colby was obviously good at that or he wouldn't be on this podcast today. So I just want to give you a shout out. Go ahead, Aaron. I'll just say real quick that, yeah, I mean, I think, uh, I don't know if I can make it a, a day alone on Black Team without the, the experiences of, of the the guys who are on it because they're i've obviously been in this unit for a pretty short amount of time and and the amount of experience across this team in whether it's the large exercises operational whatever it's the center of excellence is, is truly that uh nobody does assault zones better nobody knows more about it than these guys and it's it's because they they live and breathe it and have those experiences so 
anytime I can, I'm, I'm going to look back and see what they have to say. Mr. Free, this is such a, a great question because um, after you said it, I've got just a, a flood of all these missions that have uh, I've been a part of go through my head, but you described it exactly the same way I would describe it. Uh, take the words right out of my mouth. Like there's no feeling better than being a team leader for a small Air Force ST unit that's surrounded by hundreds of Rangers or Army or any situation and everyone swivels in their head and looks at you and says, we've got a problem, can you help us with it? And you're like, I have the solution and I saw it happening about 20 minutes before you even called me and we've already set conditions to fix your problem, you're welcome. And, and that's, Ultimately, what ST does, we have the the most specialized, best um, operators because the Air Force as a, as a whole, we make technicians that are really, really good at specific skills, a PJ, an SR, an EOD, a combat controller. The, the, the ST Enterprise makes, through our pipeline, problem solvers for the joint force. Uh, there's 20,000 Green Berets in the world, active duty guard and, and reserve. There, there's not 20,000 ST operators for a reason. We are, are meant to solve those very technical problems that people often ask, and you're the only one that can do it. So uh, being a team leader on an airfield seizure is awesome because um, you do get thrown a lot of them. Um, I, I wrote a note down to say exercises versus combat because Mr. Free, you you said it well. Um, all the exercises train you for combat and you're almost over training. Uh, just like you're working in the, the weight room and you want to get your, your squat numbers up, you've, you've got you to push through some barriers, right? So here at the command, we oftentimes make scenarios that are tougher for us on exercises than you would ever face in combat, right? Because in combat, you at least, you play it live. You, you, you go with it is, and there's no um, backside. You're not waiting for an, a scenario inject or anything like that. And you just, you do it and you're trying to, to get off the X uh, as clean as possible. For exercises, th they'll throw the book at you and and test you to say, where where's our breaking point? So, you're almost overtraining for combat every time you do a, an exercise here in the command. One thing that popped into my mind uh, going back to those airfield seizure days is, and both of you mentioned this and it, it came up both times in my head, but never once, and this isn't me not being humble because um, I wasn't always involved in this problem solving. I was, sometimes I was the uh, bike chaser or whatever, but never once did I hear us get behind a ground force commander on the ground when it comes to problems um, starting to develop, whether it's a piece of the airflow? Because the interesting thing about the ST guys on the ground, they see it all. They see everything. The only thing we're not really focused on is what's going on on target per se. Um, but anything around that airfield, like we are minutes, um, if not an hour ahead of the think of the commanders and the leadership um, on the ground force side. So. It is always impressive when that ground force commander looks over at talk one and asks him a question and they already have the answer because the dudes that he's with that are over at the control point have already figured that out. Um, so anyway, it's just this, it's like a bunch of maestros on there guiding 
the process on the ground and the ground force commander is just and they don't even know what's going on either that's why it's magic it's fun to be a part of that piece um solving those problems this is as we start winding this down guys um what is if i come up to black team and i say man that sounds pretty awesome but what's my return on investment like at the end of my tour with black team what what am i looking what can i say that i'm going to get out of it um, at the end of it i think a, a couple things obviously the the training is is going to be great especially at the kind of baseline foundational skills of special tactics like we talked about uh, with the amount of exercises we're part of amount of training like you're going to get a lot of reps full scale like you're talking about with you know, the full airfield seizure piece with all the assets and personnel that go into that you're going to get the high-end reps uh, you're going to get all kinds of of experiences actually doing it in training and you're also going to get the ability to be to enact that operationally uh, because like i said we have the the unique position of being both uh, able and scheduled to to go on all these exercises while still being uh, responsive enough to to handle challenges as they they emerge um and then i, I think something that's unique and, and valuable is, is you're going to get to every day train with your your boys and uh live with them breathe them and and, do, and actually go and, and do the mission as as a team uh, it's something that's not always dependent on what you're doing not always um a possibility for special tax people but but that's what we do is is it, it's a, a team mission and so you get to leave from the experience knowing that Every day, we as a team grew and got better and challenged each other and then had the chance to prove it. Yeah, Mr. Free, I'll, I'll take a slightly different approach to answering your question and uh, make it more focused. So Black Team just got two senior airmen from STTS, and they showed up to our team the uh, first week of August. So they've been with us for only a handful of months now, but in that short time, They've already been on a jump workup and probably have about 50 uh, MFF jumps transitioned to uh, our non-tactical parachuting system for uh, hey, Aaron, added training benefit. Aaron, before you go any farther, just explain to the audience what that means, because you're talking to a whole subset that won't even know what they just came from STTS means. Oh. So what does that mean? Like, let me give it a shot and then you clean me up. But we took two dudes who just finished the pipeline. They have not been out to a normal ST unit anywhere. They have not had any reps at any place other than in the pipeline training aspect. And they came straight up to the 724 to Aaron's team. So anyway, I just want to clean that up because what you're saying after this is amazing. These dudes just did a 50, they got 50 jumps and a workup. So please continue. I just want to throw that in there. Yeah, so um, I'll try and uh, flatten it out. So we we sent our uh, recruiting assessment selection team down to interview candidates, and we got the two best dudes from their STTS graduating class. And this is kind of unprecedented. Uh, it, it's been done in the past, uh, long before my time, but. Um, I think it's a very sustainable model to have this young talent show up and uh, I'll 
divest or uh, diverge for just a couple seconds here. Seeing these young airmen reminded me of me at the exact same age and rank. And it was, it really was great for me to see it again because I, I saw a lot of myself in it to be like, man, these guys are hungry. They're motivated. They're smart. They're talented. They're go getters. And it was, super awesome, which is a testament to how much our pipeline has grown and, and our process is getting better uh, for the greater Air Force as a whole. So these these two young guys show up and they only have the FMPs that they've done at STTS and at Combat Control School. And they've got just their basic air traffic control simulator time and, you know, the 10 call for fires that they got to get on Alpha 77 at Herbert Field. So they're just sponges soaking up everything we're doing. And in just a, a short amount of time, these guys already understand uh, the survey process, both administratively and tactically. They understand um, assault zone operations. They've logged, you know, a bunch of hours in the ATC sim. We've thrown them in the close air support simulator to do ECAS and call for fires. Uh, they've been on our validation exercise so that we could be um, alert, validated, ready. And they were, you know, critical team members, not just a guy on a on a bike just sitting there uh, putting out lights, but a guy that's uh, doing the for everyone that knows longitudinal and transverse gradient and rover duties. Uh, jumping into unknown and even unmarked DZs for exercises. Like we've thrown a lot at them and they, they've handled it well. Um, it's exciting just thinking about, uh, I almost wish I had had that opportunity when I was in their shoes. Uh, they are getting some of the, the best reps four months after graduating uh, the pipeline and they're doing it live and like the, the the operators that those two guys will be two years, four years, 10 years from now, it's it's going to be impressive to see and um, probably unprecedented as well. Man, awesome. And I love to hear that we're solving problems in different ways here. Um, and what a cool way to just go down and grab two qualified guys and bring them up and train them and turn them into us our way. So I love it. But guys, what I want to know is what did we leave on the table here um, that we need to get out to the audience? What didn't I ask you that I should have? What are some thoughts that you have as we start closing this out? So I think we hit everything uh, pretty well. The, the only other thing I'll say is just that we need guys who, like Aaron's talking about, are, are motivated and, and hungry. And, and thankfully, this team also provides the ability to get a lot of on-the-job training and a lot of growth really fast, like you just laid out. Um, so if, if anybody's interested, I, I think it's a, it's a tremendous opportunity, one that I definitely didn't plan for when I was coming to, uh, to assess for the unit, but I'm incredibly grateful and happy that I've, I've had. Uh, so I'll recommend it to, to anybody, to uh, officer, comp control, PJ, EOD, anybody. I think it's a, a great opportunity, and you're going to leave a, a better operator and, and better at the, the skills that Special Tactics provides. I think we covered a lot, uh, just definitely because I'm a, I'm a talker and I'm pretty passionate about all this. So um, I could talk about this all day and especially to the to the, the guys here. I think we, we covered some of the if you're a younger guy, what you can expect. Um, Colby just said it as well. We can take a seasoned guy if you're sitting out there and you've you're 
com contemplating what you want to next your next career move to be um, a guy that's got 10 12 years experience that, that that's perfect and that's kind of where I came up to the the unit in my career I was already uh, a more senior guy a master uh, select by the time I, I started OTC so there's there's value if you've done um, a lot in your career already and want to keep operationally uh, working and challenging yourself and, and growing and getting a, a variety of other opportunities that you may not be able to, to get um, from the rest of the ST enterprise, like we've got a place for you as well. So um, both young, middle and, and senior guys uh, welcome apply and, and you would be value added, I'm, I'm sure. Um, I touched on the professional opportunities, but I'll say it one more time. There's opportunities that the command can give you that you just can't get anywhere else. So if you have aspirations of being an advanced free fall instructor or qualified or military tandem bundle or any of the many other exotic quals that, that we are afforded in the command, like this is the, the, the unit uh, that can help get you to those uh, professional goals you might have. Uh, touch on the personal. We didn't say it much, but um, life here in, in Southern Pines isn't too bad. It's uh, it's a good family environment. We just had a, a first Friday here in downtown Southern Pines in Pinehurst, and it's a good time. The schools are are good as well. If if you've got a family with kids, um, and you get that small town atmosphere. So even if you're looking to just shake things up, uh, and your family's wanting to move, like. This isn't a bad spot to live. Um, the growth opportunities, professionally, if you feel like you might be stuck in a rut at uh, your unit or um, in the, the 720th or 2-4 Sal, um, there's opportunities for all of it. So even if you just came to Black Team and wanted to do four years and then move on to something else, like we have work for all of that, Stanaval, WebTech, our combat uh, development division, all of it um, can be opened up to you uh, once once you make it into the unit. And just, I'm gonna hammer home this this final point, uh, that variety. Um, if, if you feel like you're doing the same thing and seeing the same three or four Air Force emails a week um, where you're at, that, that's not the case here. We, we have a lot of different problems to solve a variety of missions and, and tasks uh, to keep everyone engaged. And there will be uh, more work than, than you can handle. I jokingly say each day, I've got a list of the things I wanna get done at the end of the day, and I'll get like two out of seven of them done because I have other problems to solve. And then those get just added to the list for the next day. So there's plenty of work to go around, keep you gamefully employed, and uh, your family will have a good time here in Southern Pines. Guys, I have thoroughly enjoyed this. This is going to be fun to edit and get out there to the public. Um, I appreciate you guys coming on. Yeah, thanks, Trey. We really appreciate having the, the chance to talk about Black Team and kind of the growth that it's uh, it's experiencing right now. So thanks again. Super glad that you thought of us to br bring us on here and, and do this podcast. If you are a young, talented, motivated guy, uh, train hard, uh, monitor your priorities of work and put your package in the unit definitely has plenty of work for you <laughs>